Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Hey, it's our new series we're just starting this morning, Room at the Table. And the idea there's room for everybody at God's table of grace. He didn't spread the table just for us at Faith Assembly. He spread it for all who would come and would come to know him and find everlasting life. And that table is out there. And there are so many people all around that are hurting. They're looking for answers. They're broken. They have needs. And they're, they're, they're searching. And we've got the answer. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you over the course of this next month. I want you to think about someone you need to pray about. That one person, that one friend, that one family member who needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to begin to pray for them. Add them every day to your prayer list. Invite them to come out each week. I I assure you we're going to share a gospel message, some great stories from the Word of God. And I'll be giving invitations at the end of the service for people to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so invite your friends to come. Bring them out. People are looking for answers. And we have found it in Jesus now, before I read the text, I want to read one scripture to you. It's Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I just want to let you know about this coming Saturday morning. It'll be at uh, 8 o'clock in, in building number 6. It's a men's breakfast, but don't take it as a men's breakfast. The men are inviting the ladies to come, so it's men and wives. The men are hosting the breakfast. It's for couples, so we want husbands and wives to come together. But there are so many people who do not have a living will, who do not have a will for their children. They have not got around to do it. It's one of those things that one day I'll get around to it. And then a tragedy happens or something that we weren't planning on or something happens in our life and our whole life is changed and altered. And I just want to challenge you, don't wait till it's too late. We're going to be talking about wills, uh, developing a will, a living will, trust, all those kinds of things. And so if you're interested in that, sign up in the foyer so we know how many to plan for and it will be a great informational time. Curtis Bostic will share, we'll have some testimonies. It's going to be a powerful morning this coming Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Stand with me. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12. And we'll read those three verses together this morning. The next day as as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if there had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, no one will ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your marvelous grace in our lives. And we're thankful, Lord, for the lesson we're about to learn today, that you have come, that the greater has come. And we love you so very much. Have your will and way in this place, in this service Touch lives, we pray. Open the word of God to our heart and mind, we pray. In your mighty name, we ask it. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them football has come, and then you may be seated. A few applause from the men, some of the ladies. Some of the ladies are rejoicing because now they got their Saturdays back again, and 
the husband will be tied up for a while and you'll have some peace and quiet for a few hours each and every Saturday or Sunday or whatever the case may be. Labor Day is tomorrow. Labor Day is exciting. I think not, it's kind of one of those holidays. Why did, who invented Labor Day? You know, we're going to rest from work for a day and uh, make a holiday out of that. And so we've got Labor Day tomorrow. I think most of you just kind of like it because it's another day off from your schedule. But, but for me, it marks the start of football season, right? All the guys say, yeah. And uh, we had a few good college games yesterday, and NFL starts next week. And it's fun to watch it, and it's exciting, and we, we celebrate that. The pro ranks in the NFL, they're going through the time of final cuts. And so what happens is each and every team will take their roster down from 75 to 53. That was all done yesterday by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you and, and, and for, for what is happening is they're taking the rosters, all these people whose hopes and dreams was going to play in the National Football League. They were going to play in the NFL. They, they, they staked their whole life on that. They've played their whole life. They've trained their whole life. Now we got to get the rosters down to the final 53. And for us who are watching as spectators, it's probably a good thing because you'll see the better athletes on the field. You'll see the faster runners on the field, the better receivers on the field and all those things. But, but for those 22 people, who go in and hear that very last cut, we're sorry, buddy, but you didn't make the squad. You're not quite good enough. You're not quite fast enough. You're not quite strong enough. You're really getting too old to play in the NFL. There's really no place for you on our roster, and and we've got replacements that are coming in that are younger, faster, smarter, brighter. Now, can you imagine being on the other end and receiving and hearing that word, how all of a sudden everything's kind of washed out. Everything you've played for and tried for is just kind of all washed away in just a moment. Now they get great signing bonuses, so they're not hurting too bad when they leave the field. But, but how many times have maybe you have been in that situation not pro football in here probably, but, but you've gone into work and they say, you know what, buddy, I'm sorry, you're too old. We don't need you here anymore at work. Or I'm sorry, we're, we're phasing out your job. Or I'm sorry, you're the guy that used to screw on the nuts every, in the assembly line, but we have a machine that'll do that now, and you're being replaced by a machine, and so now you have become obsolete, and so now we are going to let you go. Now I want to tell you, it may make things more efficient in the long run, but for the person who's being released, it becomes quite a problem. They're now unemployed. If you've ever been fired from a job and you've been around long enough, you'll probably get fired from one or two jobs in your lifetime. If you've ever been let go, if you've ever been fired, you can imagine what a crushing blow that must be to your ego, your self-esteem, who you are, your livelihood, your family. Everything kind of hangs on the balance. Well, this is what we have here in the Word of God. The the sacrificial system in Israel, the whole temple system that the Jews have been following for the last thousands of years is now about to be turned over because the Messiah has come. The new, improved, the better has come. The one they have been looking for, the only one who can provide salvation, the only one whose blood could ever atone for our sin, the only one who could ever pay for my sacrifice and take my place. Jesus Christ was coming. 
And it was going to be entirely better and new and greater. And yet for the Jews, for the priests, for the Levites, for those who hung on to their form and hung on to their ritual, it was a very upsetting thing. They had been sacrificing sheep and goats for a long, long time. They had been coming to the temple on their pilgrimage for a long, long time. They had been worth celebrating their feast days and their holy days for a long, long time. And now, in the coming week, this is all about to be turned upside down. Now, in this text today, you're going to see an image of that or a metaphor of that with the fig tree. It was no longer serving the purpose it was created to serve. It was no longer necessary, and it would be cursed, and then Jesus Christ would walk inside the temple and turn everything upside down. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning together. This is probably one of the most peculiar passages in the life of Jesus. It's the last miracle that Mark records, and it's really the only destructive miracle in the Word of God, if you can call it that. He looks at a tree. It's not bearing fruit. He thought fruit would be there because leaves were there. And when he gets over, he looks around for that fruit, that fig tree, that fig fruit, whatever it was, and he looks for it, and it's not there. And he does something very unusual. He curses that tree and says, you're never going to bear fruit again. You're done. You're over. You're finished. It's finished. And he curses the fig tree. And, and for us, that's, that's quite a very unusual story and unusual text to look at. And it's, it's interesting, the Bible makes the point to say it wasn't the season for figs. And so when you read that, you say, why does Jesus curse a tree for doing something that it wasn't its season to do or not doing something it wasn't supposed to do? And the reality was, if that tree had no leaves whatsoever, he, wouldn't have, he just walked right by it, assuming there was no fruit there. But the fruit, the first ripe figs, always came just before the leaves would come. And so when leaves were on the tree, there's an assumption that there's going to be figs there. And so because this tree has leaves all over it, and yet there are no figs, he winds up cursing this fig tree. And now the disciples think, man, what is wrong with Jesus? He must really be having a bad day. He must really, really be hungry. And it seems kind of childish for the Messiah, the one who calms the storms, the one who heals the sick, the one who does all these good things, the one who opens up blind eyes to spend his miracles on cursing trees. Right? Doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't seem like the character of Jesus full of grace and truth. And yet he enters in Jerusalem for the last time. Now keep in mind, he came in the day before. The day before he comes in, he's riding on a donkey. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're throwing their, their, their garments before Jesus Christ. And they're waving palm branches and saying, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're celebrating the coming in, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. But he would leave later and go back out to Bethany, spend the night there, and come back the next day. And on his way back in, he sees this fig tree and he curses it because it has no figs. He walks on into the temple area and 
goes around there. And then he does something else very unusual. All the people are coming in at Passover time. They're all bringing their animals. They're all bringing their sacrifices. They need to change their money into the Jerusalem currency so they can buy the sacrifices, the animals, so the blood can be spilt and their sins could be covered one more time. Only this time Jesus Christ goes in and he turns all the tables upside down and kicks them all out of the temple area and shuts it down. And so something dramatic is going on. People came from all over. They brought their, their animals. They brought their sacrifices. Now, you've got to understand the whole backdrop here. It's Passover time. What is Passover all about? They are celebrating their freedom from bondage. They're celebrating the time when the lambs were slain in Egypt and the nation of Israel is led out by God's mighty hand, the Red Sea opens up, and you get the statement, you get the holiday called Passover because Jesus Christ said, wherever I see the blood, I will pass over. And so they are celebrating their freedom as a people, their freedom under God, and they're doing that every single year at Passover time. They're bringing their sacrifices in. But those who came from far couldn't bring their animals Because it was too far to bring them. It was too much trouble. And so often they brought money from wherever they were coming from, but the money had to be changed into the currency of that that place and that location, the Jerusalem currency. And so they would have to change the money to buy the sacrifice. What they were doing was not wrong. It's just the way they were doing it. The problem was this barren fig tree that we talked about that is cursed now becomes a metaphor for what is about to happen in the temple. And so I'm going to show you that in just a few moments. So, so follow with me here. There's three observations I want to make, and I want you to jot these down. First of all, it says in verse number 12, Jesus was hungry. There's a certain desire that Jesus had. And the obvious thing is in dealing with the fig tree, he's hungry for something to eat. His stomach's growling, he's hungry, hadn't eaten in a long time. He's human like we are, yet fully God, but he got hungry. So Jesus is hungry, he's hungry for fruit. And now he goes into the temple and he's hungry to see something else inside of the temple. He said, my temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. It was a place where anyone could come in and connect with God. And so God is saying, Jesus Christ is hungry to see his people, his creation, all nations connect with God. But that's not happening. They make it so difficult and so challenging. They, they jack the prices up on the sacrifices. They, they get money on the exchange rate. All this is going on. They're ripping off the people. And Gentiles who want to come in and find out about God or Jews who have traveled a long way who weren't a part of the Jerusalem select, everybody else is, is really not allowed in. And so he's hungry to see men connect back with God, but that's not happening inside the temple. They are barren. They are fruitless. They're not fulfilling the job that God had called them to do. They would enter in the temple courts. They would make their sacrifice so that their sins might be covered. So they might be forgiven one more year, one more time, but they can't get in. They're being locked out. 
It was Jesus' desire to see the fruit of the temple that all nations would come and worship God and offer sacrifice and be made right with him. I wonder how many today come into our churches. They're searching for hope. They're searching for purpose. They're they're searching for meaning in life. They're looking for peace. They're looking for some kind of answer. They're, They're looking for joy. Their lives are messed up. And they come in and they find religious ceremony, but they don't find love. They get stares. They get people look at them. You're not welcome here. This is our closed group. This is our little faith club we got here, and and you're really not welcome into this place. I wonder how many we pass every day that are hurting and broken and lost, and we just walk by them, and they are miserable without Christ, and we don't see their plight, and we don't know what's going on, and we're too busy with our own agenda. But I will tell you, God is hungry to see them made right with God. And unless we tell them, unless we spread the news, we're not fulfilling the purpose that God created us for. We're just like that fig tree, or we're just like the barren temple itself. They're looking for everlasting life. They're looking for rest for the weary. It's God's desire that the widows and the orphans find their heavenly Father who cares about them, and a church that will provide for them and take care of the, the least of the least and reach out to the broken and hurting. It's God's desire for the lonely to find encouragement in someone who will build them up and someone that will help them and journey through life with them and and, and be with them. This is the church that Jesus desires to see. Are we that kind of church? There can be a real grave danger that if a church has been around for a long period of time, many, many years, it begins to turn inward. And so now the church is all about us. And now it's about meeting my needs and making me happy and and having my programs for my family and my kids and my stuff. And we forget that our intention is to reach the world. We're to be a house for all nations. Not for the people who we're comfortable with, not for the people who look like we do, not for the people who talk like we do, not for our own little Christian club and our own little Christian group. If we're not a church for all nations, we're not being fruitful and we're not fulfilling the job that God has called us to fulfill. My house should be for all nations. He looked for fruit on the tree. He looks for fruit in the temple. But then you see Jesus' disappointment. The Bible says in verse number 13, he found nothing but leaves. Leaves. Plenty of leaves. Leaves look great. Tree looks great. That was an amazing looking fig tree. He fully expected to find the first ripe figs to satisfy his hunger because, as I said earlier, leaves always accompany the fruit. Now I want you to hear this statement and listen to me. The fig tree was not cursed for its lack of fruit. It was cursed for its pretense of leaves. Let me say this again. The fig tree wasn't cursed for its lack of fruit. The fig tree was cursed for its pretense of leaves and no fruit. It was a hypocritical fig tree. You get the picture? Got the leaves, should have been fruit. It's a hypocritical fig tree. When something created does not fulfill its intended purpose, it becomes useless. 
And this is a picture of the nation of Israel. Thus, this miracle happens right before he goes into the temple. Mark putting it right here, it's very strategic. It happened here, is why it's there. But it's also the placement of it right before him turning over the temple and cleansing the temple is very strategic. It is a picture also of the nation of Israel, the barren fig tree having all the leaves, which is like Israel. They were chosen by God. They were given the law. They were delivered from bondage. They are celebrating the Passover. Israel stands in the middle of the world, of God's world, as a source of God's redemptive hope for all the nations. God always rose up Israel so they could be a light to the Gentiles. It wasn't so it could just be about them. But they're no longer fulfilling their purposes. And the leaves are beautiful. They got their glorious temple. They got their whole sacrificial system. Uh, they got people coming from everywhere. And, and, and yet they're not fulfilling the purpose that God called them to fulfill. And instead of receiving God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, they would later crucify him later that week and nail him to a cross. They counter his coming with empty rituals, sacrifices, temples, and elaborate ceremonies. And yet, he says, Israel, you have no relationship with God. You draw near me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. All the leaves are there. You look good from the outside. Where's your heart? I want to continue in this story. Go back and look at verse 15. And on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area. It began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He shuts it down. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, the Jews in Jerusalem pride themselves on having the purest form of worship, and that was the temple. It was in Jerusalem. Three times a year, the Jews had to make pilgrimages back to Jerusalem, back to the temple to offer sacrifice, to celebrate the feast occasions. But the message to outsiders, the subtle message is this. The real Jews are the ones who are still in Judah, who are still around Jerusalem, and everybody else, you've got to go through all kinds of hoops to jump through to even get here, and then when you finally get here, we're going to charge you a whole lot of money, and, we're, and it's going to be very difficult for you to come back to Jerusalem and offer your sacrifices. To worship, you needed a sacrifice, and the travel made it very difficult. And so the travelers would have to spend an inordinate amount of money to purchase animals at inflated cost, all to connect with God. This was the only way they had of connecting with God. And so Jesus walks into the temple, and business is booming, and cows are mooing, and sheep are bleeding, whatever cow, sheep do, bah, and they're making those noises, and people are pushing, and they are shoving each other, and money's flying everywhere, and they're, they're, you hear the clink of money, and, and it's a booming business in the temple area. And that's what Jesus Christ walks into. And there's some smells there. It's not just the stench of all the animals that are inside the outer courts of this time, but it's the stench of dishonesty and corruption. And now Jesus' eyes begin to burn with fire, and he shuts down business. 
and tables are flying everywhere and animals are running for their lives uh, and Jesus kicks them all out. Now what has he done? He has separated the people from their only chance of connecting with God. It's pretty radical because you can't get back into the temple. The real crime is Jewish pilgrims and God-fearing Gentiles could not get in to connect with God. So he says, okay, you're all out. Everything is turned over. Now, he says, look at this passage here. He says, you've made it a den of robbers. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. You've got to see this to see the context where this quote is taken from. Jeremiah, I, I wish I could read the whole passage, but I'll just read about three verses. Look at verse number 4. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jump down to verse 9. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incest to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? And so this is where Jesus Christ is quoting from in Mark. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Now, a robber, by definition, is somebody who steals by force. Uses a gun, knife, whatever. He robs you. He steals by force. A den was a hideout after the robbery. So after you commit the robbery, you would go and find a den and you would hide out until the heat died off or until the imposse left and went back home or whatever happened. You would hang out in the den with all your other robber friends until it was safe to come out. He says, you have made my temple, my house, a den of robbers. Now keep in mind, he is quoting from Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah say? I just read it to you. You worship God all, you worship Baal all week long. You worship false gods. You lie and you steal and you commit adultery. And you do all these sins all throughout the week. And then you come to church on Sunday. And then you say, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe in the temple. Three times he says, we're safe in the temple. He says, you're no more than a den of robbers hiding out in the confines of the church saying, because I come to church, I'm okay. And then you live like the rest of the world all week long. He says, you have made my temple a den of robbers. The Jews in Jeremiah's day were just as far from God as the Jews in Jesus' day. They had turned their temple into a hideout for spiritual robbers. Jesus finds the temple designed for all nations. He says, my house shall be a house for all nations. But he finds priests, Pharisees, and other Jewish leaders who have created a system that only serves Jews. They had the religious form of fig leaves, but failed to produce fruit to feed hungry nations. Now get the imagery here. Their purpose is to feed the nations, to bear figs. But they're not doing that. They're just a tree of leaves. 
No one's being nourished and no one's finding Christ and no one's connecting with God. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at us. Are our character and conduct like him? Or are we all leaves? Are we leaves? Where's the fruit? Is our religion based around a holiday? I'll come on Easter and Christmas and I'll hide out there. And because I believe Jesus was born and he died and rose again, I'm okay. Is our religion one day a week? I'll make it to church on Sunday. Or is it tied to a place? I will get to faith assembly of God and I will come into this building. Or is our religion all about external worship expressions? I want to tell you, without fruit, it's only leaves. We look religious. We go through the motions. We do religious stuff. But if the fruit of the Spirit's not there, if we don't love people, if we're not living righteous lives and holy lives, we're simply a tree filled with leaves. Then we are hypocritical fig trees. We're just like the fig tree. Now listen to me. and I, I want to say this in love. The problem in the temple was people could not get in and connect with God, even though all the religious trappings were there. The largest objection that people have to coming to church or coming to faith in God or receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is it's all the hypocrites in the church. The greatest barrier to people finding grace and finding love, and finding joy, and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ is not Jesus, it's us. How many people say, it's Jesus I love, I just don't want anything to do with the church? They know the teachings of Jesus, they've heard about him, they they maybe followed from afar a long time ago, and they want to buy into Jesus, they just don't want organized religion because of what they've seen in us. The church. And so we become that barrier to all the nations finding Christ. Mm, mm, mm. The fruit of our life in Christ should be evident. And so if it's not, people, listen to me in love. Let God turn your tables upside down. Let them turn your priorities upside down. Let them come into your heart, come into your life, and turn the whole mess upside down. It's got to be more than religion. There's all kinds of religions out there. Are we Christ followers? Do we live and act and look like Jesus? Mm. Let them replace your heart of lust and of greed and of selfishness with all of himself. We're commissioned by God to reach our world, but have our created temples become places of exclusivity. How many walk through our doors to find freedom, but only to find judgment in the stairs? Because they don't look like us, because they don't talk like us, because they don't dress like we do, or behave like we do, or believe like we do. We've got to be a house for all nations. We've got to be a place where anybody can come and find life and freedom. 
They're coming to celebrate their freedom as a people, and yet they're not finding freedom. So together we can connect with God. Now the good news is there's always room at the table. There's room at the table. All nations, all people, anybody should be able to come and find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, his desire is to connect people with God. His disappointment was it wasn't happening. It was not happening. And this is what he desired above everything else. And then he makes finally this last thing is this declaration he makes. And you find it in verse number 14. He says, you'll never bear fruit again. The fig tree was useless because it didn't serve its purpose. Therefore, the Lord cursed it. The temple wasn't fulfilling its purpose. What was its purpose? Jesus specifies very clearly. Now, here he quotes from Isaiah in fact, he takes two quotations together. He takes Jeremiah, the, the, the den of robbers, and he takes a quote from Isaiah chapter 56 and verse number 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. He says that is the purpose for the temple. That is the purpose that all nations might come in and find God. That's why he had them build the temple. That's why it was erected. That was its purpose and that was its function. Therefore, the Lord kicks them out of the temple. It was the way they handled their sins. They could no longer get back in. And if I can't get back into the temple, I can't find forgiveness, and my hope is gone because now Jesus has blocked the way back in. So he drives them all out. He drives them out of the temple area. So the very thing they were created to do because it wasn't happening, he kicks them out. Jesus was closing the door to that way. But the re- there's another thing behind all this, and I want you to get this. He's not just casting them out of the temple, leaving them hopeless. He's also making a declaration, I am the new way. Because ultimately, forgiveness is no longer going to be found in sheep and goats. Only forgiveness can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this symbolic action, he is declaring, I am that brand new way. I am the replacement. The Jews had locked out all nations. Now they were being locked out. So he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now listen to me. The emphasis wasn't on prayer. (coughs) The emphasis was all nations. You say, why do you say that? Because, because a lot of times we stand up and we preach. This is a house of prayer. And if you don't pray 20 hours a day, you don't get on your faces. We're not praying morning, noon, and night. We're not doing what God's called us to do. And that wasn't the case because the Jewish people themselves were men and women of prayer. The Pharisees prided themselves. They would pray up to nine hours a day. So when Jesus drives them out of the temple and says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, he's not chastising them for their lack of prayer. He's not saying you should pray 10 hours or 11 hours or 12 hours. The part they missed, the emphasis is the all nations. The all nations, you've missed that part. And so this is the, the, the base behind it. He gives a strong indictment against their elitist spirituality. Jesus was upset because religious people were trying to make God inaccessible to those outside in their approach to worship. And worst of all, They're doing it under the guise of protecting their spirituality, their form, their ritual. And they didn't give a rip about any of the other nations. Any church or individual whose religion feeds only leaves is useless to the rest of the world. 
What does the world care about our ceremonies, our externals of worship, or our rules? They care nothing about those things. The world is looking for the fruit. The world's looking for the refreshing fruit. I want to finish the story. Jump down, if you would, to verse number 20. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Look at verse 22. Have faith in God. Everybody say that. Have faith in God. Now, Peter is concerned about the fig tree, possibly. I don't know. I don't know if he's an arborist or tree lover or whatever. I don't think that's the biggest deal there. I think he's more concerned about what he just saw in the temple. He just sees everything turned upside down. And Jesus makes a statement. Get your eyes off the temple, off the location, off the ceremony, off the leaves, off people. And put your faith in God. Put your faith in me. I am now replacing the temple worship. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes for what he says, it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. Now, I want you to pick something up here. There's a picture he's painting. This mountain is the Temple Mount. It's Mount Carmel in the Old Testament, right? And now it becomes Mount Zion in the New. It's where they build the temple of God. If anyone says to this temple, be thrown into the sea, this mountain, this temple mount, be thrown into the sea and done away with, it'll be done. You have faith in God. He is prophesying that there's going to come an end to that temple, that system, that way of life. It will be cast into the sea. I am the new way. It's not about buildings, places, locations. Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice. He is the only one that can forgive sin. He is the only one that can transform your life. He is the only one that can change you. He is the new and living way. Believe in God. Trust in God. He would replace the feast, the temple, with the sacrifice of himself. There's also a little prophetic hint here because 40 years later, the Romans would come into Jerusalem. They would literally destroy the temple and wipe it out. Josephus would write, the Romans ran out of room to erect crosses to hang all those they were murdering as they came in and ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem. It was all cast down. But he is saying faith in God is more powerful than this mountain. It's more powerful than this building. It's more powerful than this ceremony. Faith has to be in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith assembly must be an inclusive community. Jesus died for all nations. And all should be welcomed so they can find forgiveness. But it's going to be found in Jesus, not because they're in a building. 
The next few weeks, we'll be looking at some specific examples from the Word of God of how inclusive Jesus was as he reached out to Gentiles and Samaritans and a Syrophoenician woman. And there's some very unique stories in the Word of God. Everybody needs the Lord Jesus Christ. But the way have been, of religion has now been replaced by the way of love. Love in Jesus Christ. Jesus resets the standard. He says this gospel is a gospel for all nations. It's a house for all nations. It's a place where everybody is welcomed, everybody is accepted, and everybody can receive my free gift of everlasting life. And that's the great news today, my friends. And today, you can receive this gift of everlasting life by inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life. It's knowing him. It's a relationship with him. It's not rules, regulations, ceremonies. It's about Jesus. He has the fruit of life for everybody here. Now, at the end of each message these next three weeks, we're going to feature a testimony from our own church, from one of our campuses about stories of lives that have been transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to watch the first one today. It's a great story. Take a look at the screen. Growing up was hard. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I had a family that loved me, especially my mom. Uh, I guess the hardest part about growing up was uh, living in a constant fear of uh, my dad. Every day I would uh, get off the school bus and I would just be so fearful of just walking into my own home because I didn't know what kind of mood my father would be in. Uh, I remember one time, though, uh, I was asked to stay home with him after he had had knee surgery. Uh, He asked me to look for something out in his car and I I went out to his car and I I kept on looking and looking and I I just couldn't find what he he was describing to me. You know, I was about seven years old. It was, it was just very difficult for me to find it. And uh, I came back inside for maybe like the third time. I was like, Dad, I just can't find it. And uh, he gets up and he, uh, he comes towards me. And I just see this uh, face of just anger and uh, resentment on his face. It was, it was, it was awful. He, uh, he grabbed my shirt with his fists and uh, he just pulled me back and forth with his fists hitting on my chest. And I just, I didn't know what to do at the time. And like, I, I just took it. I mean, what, what can a seven-year-old do? Later that day, uh, I ended up grabbing a phone and calling the police on him. And, uh, you know, the police came. We went through this motion. He got arrested and he was out that night. Uh, and then he asked my mom to go out to grab something from the grocery store. Uh, some cookies or something. It was weird. Uh, but... He called me down from my room and he, uh, he did shove me up against the wall. And he told me if I ever called the cops on him again that he would end my life, which is pretty scary hearing at the age of seven. My lowest point before Christ uh, was me just trying to fill this hole, this gap in my heart that I thought my love, like my father's love was supposed to come from. I, I didn't know what to do, so I, I turned towards drugs, alcohol, and meaningless relationships with uh, other people. I remember one time uh, I was downtown with a, a group of friends. I had gotten a fake ID from a friend and we, uh, we were just drinking, having fun, partying with uh, random people that we didn't know. Uh, I was asked if I wanted to do a line of coke and, you know, I said, heck, if it'll help me get over what I'm feeling right now, I'll do it. And so I snorted some coke. 
And then I remember later on that night going to uh, a house party after we had left the bar and just smoking copious amounts of marijuana and not caring what I was doing, drinking, getting drunk. And I don't remember much after that. I passed out on somebody's couch that I didn't even know whose couch it was. I didn't know where I was. Uh, and it was always weird waking up from nights like that and just being like, what am I doing with myself? I feel like crap. You know, I did have fun last night, but it hasn't gotten rid of this pain that I feel. I would do almost anything uh, to get my mind off the abuse my father put me through. But eventually all the drugs and alcohol, the, their highs just wore off and they didn't do anything anymore for me. Growing up, I would go to church uh, but I really wouldn't uh, listen to what uh, the preachers had to say. I just, uh, I would go to church just to go and I would leave at 12 o'clock and not think about it ever again. Uh, all that started to change when I came here to faith. Uh, for the first couple weeks, I, I you know, didn't really pay too much attention, but then I started to really listen to what everyone had to say. So I got invited to an all-nighter uh, for one of the youth events. And that was when I first started to feel like I belonged somewhere, like I was welcomed. And uh, I just remember seeing all these kids, uh, they were having so much fun and learning about Christ and really like showing that they want a relationship with Christ. And I wanted it so bad. And I really just started to feel my heart break down. All the barriers that I built up for so long just fall. And I let Christ in and it just felt so amazing. Uh, this hole that I had, had had in my heart for so long where I thought my father's love was supposed to be was already filled with uh, God's love for me. One of my favorite things that I'm doing right now is volunteering for the youth program. Uh, it's just so amazing to see what Christ is doing in other people's lives, especially at such a young age where I wish that I had a relationship with, with Christ at that age. In a world where I felt like I didn't belong because not even my own dad cared for me, God's grace was enough for me. And I realized that he's always had a plan for me. I just want to encourage anyone who may be in the same place that I was in uh, to just not give up. Uh, if you ever think that you just aren't good enough, know that God made you and me for a reason. And it might not always be clear, but God has a plan for both of us. Sometimes you just have to take a step of faith. Hallelujah. What a great story. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Only Jesus can fill that hole. Without him, you're incomplete. You don't have your purpose. You don't have your eternal future secured. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.